0: 16 april 2019 anlände så Michael Ondaatje från Kanada men född på Sri Lanka. På scenen mötte han Sofia Nyblom. Jag talar om internationell författarscen och jag som talar heter Ingmar Fast och är konstnärlig ledare för litteraturscenen på Kulturhuset Stadsteatern. Låt samtalet ta sin börja. Mr. Andacha, it's such a privilege and uh, very exciting to to sit here and have this conversation with you about this novel, Warlight. Um, The plot mainly unfolds in London after the war and in Suffolk, Mm -hmm. in a village called White Paint, also a little bit in Italy. And before we dive into the discussion, about the book. I'd like to talk about the title. Mm-hmm. Because, as Ingemar fast mentioned, Warlight and the Swedish title, Lyktscheon, are not quite equivalent. Um, Lyktscheon, to me, has more of a Narnia-esque fantasy quality. You see this lamppost, which sort of pulls you into sort of a magical um, existence. And I was very excited when I read the book, and somewhere towards the end of the book, the word jumped off the page. And I thought, ah, now I understand what, what it's about. Could you tell us what, what the title indicates
1: mm. or conjures up? Well, well, it was a book that was very difficult to title for me. You know, I, I, wasn't, I had quite boring titles in mind. And um, I won't even say what they are. And, and, and then I realized that I'd used the word warlight as one word twice in the book, describing the traffic on the Thames during the war when they had to be very muted and, and uh, almost invisible. And it just seemed to be the right title because essentially the book felt like something that took place somewhere far away in Europe. And the light from that was reflected on a more domestic family you know a version of a family and and it was also something that was hidden uh, i just um, there were, i read about once in, in india there was this village you know over the mountains and the light from the village was reflected on a cloud and it was just that that sense of a triangle re- reflected on on this in the present in, you know in after the, after the war is over that the light from the war is still active
0: in some way. Mm. There's also a sense of danger uh, in that particular scene mm-hmm. where, where the word comes in, the, the transportation of nitroglycerine during the blitz right. done at night. And there's, there's actually the lack of light. Mm-hmm. The war light is actually the lack of mm-hmm. light.
1: And the character of, of the dad driving yeah. with, with no lights on you know, and, and in the city. So he, so he has to learn the... the Street directions by heart,
0: Mm. Um, and this the lack of light, or sort of navigating in the dark, or without signs, etc., is seems to be a recurring theme. There are many themes in this very rich book. I hope we will be able to cover some of them: Um, childhood, abandonment, identity. Undercover warfare, love, betrayal. And um, in some respects, it's a spy novel. And in other aspects, it really isn't. I mean, a lot of books have been written about the Second World War. Um, Warlight is not a war novel, but like you said, it seems to be about how the war goes on while the world is trying to reconstruct everything, particularly for these two children, a boy and a girl, two teenagers, who are abandoned by their parents without any valid explanation.
1: And and with very little warning, because it it all all happens on the first sentence. Yeah. So uh, suddenly you're kind of left. And uh, that really was how the book began, too. So it was kind of strange to kind of be thrown into the deep end of a swimming pool, you know, and um, well, it did. It did appear a few pages later on, but I, I realized it was the right first sentence, I think. And then, and then I, it was a case, looked like a case of abandonment, but it becomes something actually kind of more magical in a way because it's, it's an escape from the protection of their their family. And certainly, uh, Nathaniel sees it as much more exciting, much more exciting, and. Um, adventurous world for a while
0: it becomes an adventure even yeah. though it's, it's very brutal so you're saying it it was hard to start with that sentence did, did it feel too brutal
1: it wasn't hard mm. I, I was glad I found the sentence uh-huh. but it, it seems so abrupt as, as an opening yeah. you know like those beginnings by um, D.H. Lawrence and those short stories where he'll suddenly announce something and then the story has to follow that line
0: um. <coughs> There's also, there's a clue which you provide the reader with uh, at the very end of the book, on the last page, where, where you reveal the nicknames of the two children. Um, the girl, Rachel, is nicknamed Ren, which in Swedish is "Yad um, Smug," a very tiny and unassuming bird, who's mm. good at hiding, but has a very loud mm. and melodious voice. Mm. Which sort of goes along with the girl. I yes, mean, she yes. makes a lot of noise. She's very angry. She yeah, she's has very these,
1: argumentative. And, and
0: she has these fits. She has these epileptic <laughs> fits.
1: <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. Actually, I, I must tell you this very strange story. When I when the cat's table came out, I was in near, in a town near Boston, and a, a couple came up to get a book signed. And she said, "I'm pregnant," and so we signed the book for our daughter, who's going to be born very soon. And I said, "Sure," and I said, "What's her name?" And said, Ren. So I wrote Ren. And then when this book came out, I went to the same place and um, th- the same couple there, and, and, and they had this girl with them. And they said, I, Do you remember we had a daughter named Ren? I said, Yes, she's in the book.
0: You know? <laughs> <laughs> is that how she got into the book?
1: Yeah. I mean, right. I, just, I actually remember what a great name that is for, uh-huh. for somebody, you know. So it was like they were quite stunned, (laughs) (laughs) this crazy writer, you know, (laughs) writing down names.
0: (laughs) That's wonderful. And the narrator, the boy, uh, is called Stitch, Mm. as in stitching together, trying to mend something that has come undone. Um, And I thought stitching together pieces of history, reconstructing something that's Mm -hmm. broken, is seems to be what you're trying to do in this novel. Is it what you set out to do?
1: Well, I, I, I think he set out to do that. I mean, I, I'm... It's it, not you. It, yeah, <laughs> I mean, it is very much okay. So I'm kind of following the path of this character I've, I've invented. Mm-hmm. And so whatever he does is the result of the character or the, his manner or his hesitance or his fear or his privacy, all those things that mm. are in... Nathaniel, which actually isn't in me, isn't, in me, isn't in me, but I was. I you go into a kind of um, a voice of a person or a, a manner of a person, and that directs you certainly. Mm. And and certainly, he is because of the fact that, he, that the family have left. He is gathering these versions of what may have happened, so mm-hmm. that became kind of an interesting. Mm-hmm. Metaphor. Um,
0: eventually, during the course of the book. Um, we discover or the narrator discovers the true identity or at least the professional identity mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Of, the protec- of his mother. Mm-hmm. Uh, he makes an enormous effort to find out who she was, why she abandoned her children. It becomes a, a life project for mm. him, really. And at one point he finds a photograph of mm-hmm. her. Would you mind reading this passage?
1: Yes, for sure. There's a photograph I have of my mother in which her features are barely revealed. I recognize her from just her stance, some gesture in her limbs, even though it was taken before I was born. She's 17 or 18 and snapped by her parents along the banks of their Suffolk River. She's been swimming has climbed into a dress and now stands on one foot, the other leg bent sideways in order to put on a shoe, her head tilted down so that her blonde hair covers her face. I found it years later in the spare bedroom among the few remnants she had decided not to throw away. I have it with me still. This almost anonymous person, balanced awkwardly, holding on to her own safety. Already incognito, and (laughs) you know, it's one of those moments where you 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 find something that, in fact, carries for the whole novel. You know, I mean, that's in a way that's all you need to say about the mother Rose. You know, Mm. except that she's a more complex person than the one we thought she was at the beginning.
0: And it's, it's a rather tragic discovery because he, um, he finds out uh, bit by bit that the mother, whose real name is Rose, William, Rose Williams, has been involved in, in the Secret Service on quite dangerous missions. Mm-hmm under the Shakespearean nickname Viola. Mm-hmm. The turning point for her seems to be a moment during the Blitz, when the bombs are falling, and she wants to take charge instead of being a victim of the right. war. She seems to long for a mission, so much that she actually sacrifices her family.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was a scene... I was sort of waiting to write, actually, because... You know, you have a, a mother who leaves a family and goes off, which already has two points against her, supposedly. And, and yet, I didn't want her to be just, uh, you know, someone who's um, cold-blooded. She's much more complicated than mm. that. And um, she she has a, a, a medical, not medical, a war career rather like a father who is happy to live in the countryside and have, you know, have his dog on the sofa with him. But at the same time, is part of an admiralty, you know, so that the, li- the two-life person,
0: mm.
1: which, which which she feels she has a right to as well. Mm. But the uh, the scene with the the bombing, uh, uh, the planes going over over the countryside towards London, uh, that, that is described, where she suddenly ha- you see her with the children, very close to the children, and walking with the children in the fields, is what I think saves her in, in many ways and justifies what she's doing. Mm. Even though, even at the end, she's quite silent about her purpose.
0: She doesn't tried. really tell her children no. that it was about protecting yeah. them.
1: And also, I, mean, I think a lot of women at, at the end of the war were supposed to be quiet about what they'd been doing. You know, mm. I mean, you had women who'd worked in the war and then came home, and then they had lost their jobs in the first place. And secondly, they weren't lot of talk about what they'd done. So yeah. you know, a lot of, there was a lot of that happening too.
0: Yeah. Um, a number of other people who surround these children uh, they fill up the house mm-hmm. um, when the parents leave and their real identity also remains unclear until the boy becomes an adult. There's a man named the Moth Natfjärilen på svenska the Pimlico Arrow in Swedish named Pilen and as the boy grows up, he pressures his mother to reveal how all of these people have been secretly appointed guardians, mm. bodyguards, in essence, in the absence of their parent. Um, so again, coming back to the, the theme of identity, not, it seems like not a single person in this book turns out to be who they appear to be.
1: Right. And they all seem to have nicknames. I mean, it became yeah. this kind of like a this little disease in the yeah. novel, you know, <laughs> where everyone was called the Moth or the daughter or Stitch or mm-hmm. Wren. Or, and the one character whose name, I, again, I've forgotten, who had a real name, I kept forgetting his name when I was writing because I'd forgotten what, you know, he was the only one who did not have a nickname, mm-hmm. uh, Arthur McCash, you know. So I get to Arthur McCash and say, "Oh God, what the hell is his name?" I have to go back and <laughs> put an X, <laughs> you know? But it was something that it was the only one with a real name that kind of made it confusing to remember.
0: Yeah. Um, there's there's a parallel also to uh, to the English Patient, mm-hmm. which you wrote. What is it? Twenty years ago? Is it more? At least, yeah. Nineties, so. yeah. Uh, because there also uh, the title is the English patient, but of course the patient isn't English at all. Mm-hmm. He's Hungarian, mm-hmm. Hungarian, and and also an undercover agent. Why, why why do you come back to this theme of identity?
1: Well, because I, I didn't know I was doing that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Quite seriously, I mean, I, I, you know, one one writes, and when you look back, you realize you have certain echoes all the way through the books. But I mean, I think. You know, I think most of the books I, I've written, going back to something like the, collect, uh, to the book on jazz about Buddy Bolden, you know, was a search for him. He has disappeared, so mm. he, the, the narrator or, or one of the, his friends has to try and find him. And in The English Patient, who is the English patient? You know, mm-hmm. so the, the book begins with, and, and runs, the whole run of the book is the discovery of who he was, who, he, who was in the plane with him, etc., mm. etc., And in Anil's ghost, the book about Sri Lankan wars, it it is to find the identity of a of a body they've found. So uh, it's a continual thing in a in a a kind of not so much a detective novel in terms of finding out, but in the sense of archaeology. You know that you are there's something here, and something here in the present is going to say something about the past. And meanwhile, the book moves forward. But while it moves forward, it's going backwards to find out who was in the plane with him, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. And um, so I I think in in this book, there is this continual moving, the boy moving forward and becoming an adult in the second half of the book, and still not knowing what was the motive, uh, why was the disappearance of the mother happening to him.
0: The narrator ends up working for the Secret Service mm-hmm. as well. He's actually, he's recruited and ends up spending part of his free time searching for clues mm-hmm. and traces of his mother, looking at maps, uh, accidentally being called into listening to recordings and discover mm-hmm. that it's his mother um, they're talking about. And in a way, what Stitch does in the novel is the job of a writer or a journalist mm-hmm. for that mm-hmm. matter. Is Warlight a book about writing?
1: I, I suppose, um, I'm not sure. You know, I, I, I wasn't thinking of that at all. You know, I mean, I think, um, but as a writer, I'm trying to kind of call, not call, that's not a good word, gather all kinds of things that will, uh, first of all, reveal something, but also move forward. Mm. Because when I write a novel, I, I don't have the whole spread of the plot in front of me when I begin. So in a way, you're writing the novel to, fi- to find out what the plot is. So the, I know my, the first draft of my, my novels are always a kind of hazy but intricate uh, re- reconnaissance of what is going to possibly happen. And there'll, there'll be many, many, many changes when I'm editing the book. But that's the path I want to find, so it is to discover you know who the English patient is or who Rose Williams is and uh, and then and go further to find out how all the other characters are somehow linked because mm. i by this point I've got about five or six characters mm. there's a girl, Agnes, that is the young girlfriend of Nathaniel and you know and various other people and it's if you've got all these five characters, then you've got to somehow make them kind of uh, join in and, make, and complete the plot. Mm-hmm. You know, um, my favorite remark um, I was someone told me was uh, the writer, American writer. She said, "When you get halfway through the book, the plot is how do you get out of here?"
0: Mm. You know, <laughs> and, and
1: it really is. I mean, it's, it's, it's a very the most profound thing I've heard about writing. You know, and you know. Are you going to go that far, or do you, can you stop halfway or something like that? Mm. And you know I, I, I always go too far and then I kind of realize that the book has ended about ten pages earlier. you know you 've said too much, so that, How do you I, know
0: where to stop? How do you know when you 've said too <clears throat> much or?
1: Well, I mean it, it is that I, mean, I keep going until I, I <laughs> fall off the cliff uh-huh. or I you know, realize that essentially everything that 's been said is this so it's due also with uh, this kind of movable structure. You know, the Japanese um, the Japanese love a kind of an admirer structure that keeps altering as the book goes on. And, mm. and in this book, it really was in the second half, there's a Nathaniel still, but then there's uh, the mother story, and then there's the Agnes story, and there's a sister story. And so you're kind of going where does it finally light? You know, it's, it's a very odd thing. And so you Everything that you set up in some way has to kind of unite, mm. and I guess it's when they unite, even in a very low-key phrase. You know, it could happen that way. I think.
0: So, looking at the arch of writing, of, of how, um, let's say, how long time does it, th- Do it take? How, how much write? time did it take you to, to okay. write this book? Okay, uh,
1: it takes me about a, a year or two. Or say, say a couple of years to write the first draft. Mm. And it's handwritten, so it's you know, you write not, by hand, yeah, write by always. Hand. Mm-hmm. And then I do about three more drafts by hand, mm. so that by that point, you know, I, I think I've got it roughly. So then I put it on a computer, mm. and then I continue to edit about five or six more times or more. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I then I show it to friends, and they say. Uh, you know <laughs> <laughs> yes. and and the important thing is not to show it to all of them at the same time. you just show it individually, otherwise they gang up like wolves you know <laughs> and and um is it always the same friends or different well, ones? they've changed a little bit, but usually there's uh-huh. three or four friends uh-huh. and and uh, but you know they say, oh, there are too many bicycles in this chat book, you know, get rid of the bicycle you know uh-huh. and some of them will love the bicycle, so uh-huh. you have to choose yourself uh-huh. so anyway. That's the most tense time for me because no one has seen a, a line of it, yeah. and that's now about four years, and uh, so you're either going crazy or you're, you're okay. So th- then I go back and then I work on it a bit more, take out the bicycles, uh, you know, change some of the names, and um, accept Arthur McCash, and and, and um, then I, I give it to an editor, and I get the response from a more public, you know, or Not professional, but professional, Mm of course. You know, the editors in Canada or England or 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 here, and I I get and I get notes, and so that that's a a different level of, you know, perception Mm. to the book. And so Mm -hmm. that by now it's about five years. So in fact, editing takes me about two and a half years. Mm -hmm. The act of editing a book, and I'm I'm obsessed with it. I'm just I just love the craft of editing because. Everything changes. Everything can be saved, you know. And I did a book on um, a filmmaker film called Water Merch. and it was so interesting to see where in film it's even more microscopically mm. detailed, you know. So um, a scene is a, a second is 24 frames, and if you cut it, the seventh frame as opposed to the 24th, it's a huge difference in. Response, you know, uh, and and, and um, tightness, you know. So, I, I'm I'm very interested in that craft that is outside the craft of of writing, you know, like, like music or, or whatever else it is, you know, painting.
0: And there's uh, talking about research, sort of backtracking. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you write poetry, you write plays, you work with screenplays, um, and um, how how do all of these various techniques and art forms intertwine in in mm. your research and sort of feed into your writing?
1: Well, I I, I I I love. You know, I'm I'm someone who wish I wish I was a, a painter and I wish I was a, a a pianist. You know, so therefore, I'm I'm so envious of those crafts that I will somewhat kind of sneak them into the book in uh-huh. some way. Um, in the, in the, with a painting like something like um, a Diego, Diego, Diego Rivera you know, mural, I can see that influenced me when I wrote In the Skin of a Lion about about workers and so forth.
0: And what about it?
1: Well, I mean, what the, was the, the one want? example I, I can give you is that there was a, a mural of the uh, Ford factory or something like that he was painting, and there was a, a man at one end who was a worker holding up a hammer like this, and then at the other end there was. Uh, one of the officials, or the, the owner of the place, holding up a, a pen. It was almost exactly the same rhyme, and I, I think uh, for me, that element of rhyme and echo is very, very important hmm. in in writing something that you spend five years on. You know, uh-huh. you're just looking. You say something, and then in a way, you've got to discover that rhyme later on. Uh-huh. Almost by accident, you know, and it's happened to me numerous times, mm-hmm. you know. Um, it could be the, the, the girl who picks up the card that's there at the end and it's referred to earlier on, uh, as some of the daughter does. He picks up, you, if you pick up a playing card, it's very good luck, apparently, but you have to keep it with you for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Bit of a problem. But um, so th- that kind of thing is so interesting to me, mm-hmm. and I'm sort of waiting for that. How you get out of the novel is to find that last right rhyme, you know.
0: Mm, mm. And the process of research, is it intellectual or intuitive? Is it something you do Mm. before you write, or does it sort Mm. of follow along with the writing?
1: It's intuitive, and it it isn't done at the beginning. I usually begin with just a small little fragment Mm. of, you know, the patient talks to the nurse, or in this case, parents have gone there in an empty house until... The, the the people also, the guardians al- arrive you know and um, so then 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 you're then you're discovering you I'm, I'm putting myself in the position of uh, Nathaniel mm-hmm. and his sister and we're discovering the daughter who I didn't even know about four days earlier mm-hmm. and his girlfriend um, Olive Lawrence and I, I thought I'd just write a few lines about Olive Lawrence, the girlfriend, and then when I started to write about her. She became this magnificent woman, you mm-hmm. know. I, and I just couldn't... I kept, I kept writing like 15, 20 pages about this woman. And so, so suddenly she was actually now a major character in mm. the book. So that, And this, so that was the discovery of all these people. And um, so that's how it happens, you know. Um, they
0: take on a life of their own the, and then you yeah, have to Yeah, I mean, it sounds like them. I mm-hmm. have nothing
1: to do with it, but I, I do. But, I mean, it it is, it is... You're kind of watching them for... How the story, you know, in a way, character is, is plot for me. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's because without the daughter's manner and his behavior and his smoking when um, Rachel has had a, a epileptic fit, all that says something mm-hmm. about each other, and you know, there's a relationship suddenly as a result of that. Mm-hmm. And, and 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 so as a result of that, research that I do, say halfway through the book or later on. In fact, influences the story and and will surprise me, you know, sometimes quite shockingly. And I'll give one example I mentioned before once uh, that, uh, happy with the book, they're, the, and they're on this boat, and uh, Agnes jumps overboard and swims, and it's a very lyrical scene, and et cetera, et cetera, and they're going up one of these canals north of the Thames. And so I was still doing research on the Thames, and I went to this place called i the name of the place now, the, the, the abbey where the munitions were made for hundreds of years, um, uh, Waltham Abbey. And uh, so that was very interesting. So I went there for a few days and talked to people and asked about what was done and so forth. And, and then they said, have you been to Newton's Pool? And I said, yes, actually, I have. Uh, not saying that I'd written a, a sort of lyrical scene taking place there. And they said, oh, well, that's where the British kind of tested Explosives underwater—you know—suddenly, this lyrical place now mm. becomes ominous. So mm. there's a so, it, and that's how the how Warlight works. How the past is still subliminally in that landscape, you know, mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. and danger.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So it's it's a very war-ridden landscape, mm. if, if that's the word. You know, everything everything is governed just as most of the population was governed, uh, was was active in in the war effort, you know, even taking down signs to confuse the enemy in case they landed, you know.
0: That's a wonderful uh, episode where you describe how there are no signs in the landscape and soldiers desperately trying to navigate and there are no signs. They just, they have no idea where they are. This is near the
1: coast and so they've taken down any signs in case the Germans invade by Mm -hmm. land but half the the, the, the American um, airmen are totally lost for quite a while and can't find the airfield and so forth.
0: Yeah, and, and, and like you said, uh, one gets the sense eventually in the book that so many people are involved in the, in the war effort and the post-war effort mm-hmm. of trying mm-hmm. to to sort of beat fascism, um, trying to sort of reconstruct the country in in uh, in a certain direction
1: yeah and and, and it's also something that's never talked about you know that was was really interesting i mean i did meet some people who had worked in bletchley and this couple who were married you know later on and they never knew that the other one was working in bletchley really yeah i, I mean i mean they weren't married when they were uh-huh. working there uh-huh. but you know they were dating you know uh-huh. so it's kind of uh, I mean, that, it sounds like a, a very English joke or something, but you know, it's. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it was evidence, you know.
0: And how did you uh, come upon this particular? Uh well, this this strand of, of undercover work. How, how did you end up being fascinated by it?
1: I, I did I did read quite a lot, and and mm-hmm. I I did know a, a, a couple actually who who had also told me about the Al story in in uh, English Patient, um, and and I knew they had been involved, and they were based in Egypt, and I I knew their family, and and then I did read a lot of you know. Texts in the corners of books, Mm. not the kind of the major character stories or the the spy stories, but what Mm. was, you know, what it was like to work in those offices, you know, and and so that was more revealing because it was the everyday world of, you know, hiding information, burning information as a war, especially as the war was ending, to 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 remove all the evidence of what had really been happening.
0: Is is there anything left? I mean, are there any archives where you can find?
1: There are. Yeah. I think there are. Uh, certainly. Are they certainly.
0: available? Open to the public?
1: Um, I'm sure the, the, what well, the cleaned up versions are. Yeah. You know, <laughs> <laughs> but there are. There's always evidence. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, one. Uh, Theme stood out in my mind. And it's probably because I deal a lot with with music. It has to do with how the theme of, of memory and music mm-hmm. seem to be interconnected. Sort of the way they're they're connected in in the novels of Marcel Proust. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, because music is about temporality and ideas and events passing, and it's sort of Connects to certain memories and mm-hmm. emotions. Um, you mentioned writing about Buddy Holden uh, coming mm. through slaughter, which is an obvious indication of your interest in music. And I was wondering what what role music does play for mm-hmm. your writing and your research.
1: It, it's a, <coughs> a very big, I think, influence on me in terms of emotion. I think mm-hmm. you know. I mean, I'm. Happy to be weeping in a car over some piece of music, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, I find that if I can never write with music, you know, because if you write with music in the room, I mean, everything sounds good. You know, you, you can't, you, you can, you can't <laughs> trust if it's worth it or not, you know. So, I mean, I, I, one thing I don't do uh, and listen to when I write is, is music, you know. So it's, it's something, it's, you hear it somewhere else, uh-huh. or it influences you. So but it's
0: before or after, not during. Not not
1: during. <laughs> uh-huh. And yeah, I mean, I mean, and there are lots of things. I mean, I know, I know there, are songs, there are songs in um, the book Divisadero, the which I, 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 I'm very conscious of, of a piece of music during a certain sequence where the girl escapes from her father and is going down the Highway 1 in, in, in America and I'm very conscious of what song it is, but I didn't want to mention the song, you know. So I think that... Because it was so vivid in my head, and, and the words had to kind of create that mm-hmm. state. And it draws like the way that the boy in this book remembers the the music he, he, that the moth plays, and he keeps and he keeps adding his mother's voice to it, which is kind of heartbreaking.
0: Yeah, it's um, it's a very sad scene. But the 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 moth listens late at night to. The music of Mahler, mm-hmm. and he can't quite ad- identify what it is. It's certainly not the adagetto which we no. heard before, because it's much too beautiful and romantic. It's probably one of the more um, loud and and tragic mm-hmm. uh, symphonies. And um, it actually it reminded me of being a, a young girl, and and the radio would be turned on uh, when my parents were at work late at night, mm-hmm. you know, and there would be. The sort of contemporary atonal music, and I thought it was horrifying. It was like, it <laughs> was know. like a horror movie. They find
1: you know? that they like, they're throwing furniture down from great heights yeah, or something yeah. like that. Yeah, no,
0: it's, it's quite scary. You're, yeah. you're abandoned, and the music <clears throat> sort of amplifies your yeah. abandonment and your fear, and that's sort of how I interpreted the way you use music here, because there's mm. particularly Mahler, and then the, the sister... Um, Rachel, he says. She says, "No, it's not Mahler. Yeah, it's Schumann." Yeah, yeah. And you, it's you, it's not correct what yeah, you remember. Yeah.
1: No, I, I mean that that is very much Nathaniel. I mean, he's he's really always all going in the wrong direction in some ways. And the sister who is unforgiving. I mean, the relationship between the sister and the and the and the brother towards the mother is is very very different because the sister is utterly unforgiving towards yeah. the mother, and the Nathaniel is attempting to. Make some connection.
0: He's more attached, more loyal. Yeah. yeah. She just wants to forget her mother. Uh, uh, yeah. 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 Mm. Um, and there, there's also a word connected with this particular music, uh, a term. Which Mahler uses in a lot of his scores, a German word "schwer," which means mm-hmm. heavy or mm-hmm. sad, yeah. and it's actually the title of one of the chapters. Mm-hmm. How uh, how did you come upon that, and why did I, you want to? I, use I, that?
1: I just I don't where I came across. My my kind of research you know, is a bit random, so I'm not mm. quite sure where I found it. But I I, I I was very interested in Mahler at that time, and and and, and well, so it just seemed like a a, a kind of a, one of those key words <laughs> that you've, you've, you know, so I, I just carried it around with me, and then I had the moths saying shwa you know whenever he 's warning them, but you know that's just not as simple or happy as it is it 's going to be danger or something yeah. like that, so the word becomes almost dangerous or danger and I, and I think w- one of the things that interested me was i mean early early musically, a lot of early jazz was a huge influence on me in mm-hmm. the sense that. Um, the the Louis Armstrong Hot Five albums were like almost a perfect structures for a book. You know, there were five people. Each of them had a solo, and then they all come together at the end. You mm-hmm. know, and and then, he, he, seeing and hearing Mahler's Fifth Symphony, suddenly you realize that my God, it's much much more complicated and vast, mm. and you know, everything is there. So, I think that was a huge change in me, not just it's not just Jazz, but there is you know, this huge kind of interweaving of of everything, past and present and individuals. So that that was very important for me in this book, I think.
0: And somehow there's there's also a bittersweet quality about Mahler. I mean he has this very lyrical, sort of happy I was thinking about the, the fantasy element mm-hmm. or the mm-hmm. sense of there's a sense of lightness. Mm-hmm. Even though it's a dark book, it's also Light and and um, the sense of, of discovery is is accompanied by by eagerness and and excitement mm. and then there's a the heaviness. It's yeah. it's both. I mean, yeah. Ma- Mahler is a, a perfect symbol, yeah. I think, for yeah. for the mood in the book. Actually,
1: yeah. I, s- I should have worn my schwer T-shirt tonight. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we all want one.
0: <laughs> um, it's, it's funny that, that you mentioned um, that you don't listen to music while you write because there is a scene in the book where the mother, um, she plays chess with mm. Nathaniel and she tells him about a chess game where the chess player is in the Naples opera house listening to the opera Norma yeah. while playing chess mm-hmm. and doing it brilliantly and sort of accompanying making sure that he follows the dramaturgy of the opera so that he can make his
1: moves right.
0: and, and listen and then go back to, mm. to the chess game. I thought it's, it's very funny. It's it very w- humorous. It's a very
1: true story, too, by the way. It's a true story. Oh, yeah. yeah. Really? Yeah. You, uh-huh. I don't just make up things. Yeah. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's, it's, it's quite a famous story, and, and I had to kind of check it out. and
0: uh-huh.
1: my you know, So... No, it was—it's it was, mm. it's, it's an absolutely true story, and he—he mm. he, he did become, in fact, it was one of his great games. And it was it was great because he—he he was diverted, you know. Unlike some authors I <laughs> admire. you know, he's more interested in the, in, the, in the opera than in the game. So he's just doing these amazing moves without mm. being conscious that he's, you know, breaking the form. Mm-hmm. And then later on in li- his life, he gave up chess and became a lawyer, and wasn't very good. <laughs> <laughs> True story.
0: <laughs> uh, great story, and it it also accompanies a moral. She's trying to teach her son something. Yeah. She's trying to teach him to focus, right. concentrate right. the way the and, chess plays, and
1: how you have to get out of a, a war before you. know the, the exit from a war is very, very important, which is something that Fallon teaches her, and she's trying to teach him. You know, um, when to. Get out of a battle is is the most important thing, not just how to win it. You know,
0: right? It's about the yeah. battle in yeah. in the chess yeah. game. Yeah. The chess game as a metaphor for war. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. Right. Love. Um is, of course, one of the themes. You mentioned Agnes. We haven't really talked about her. Mm-hmm. Agnes, it's not her name, actually. Yeah, I it's know, another
1: you know, false name. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah. Her name is Sophie.
1: Yes. We find out yeah, eventually. Yeah, yeah.
0: But she's named after
1: a street. The street that... Yeah. It, he falls in love, or he meets a young, also another teenager named Agnes, and, and in a time of war, the only place he can get together is in these uh, abandoned... Um, buildings, you know, uh, or b- buildings are about to be sold if possible. So that's where that's where they meet, is in these you know dark rooms where they cannot turn on the light, and so usually they're by themselves. But in one scene, in the book they're surrounded by a lot of dogs. So um, that, anyway, that that's, that's that she's a very important character in the book.
0: The yeah the. I'd love you to read to read that passage. Maybe we should explain the greyhound dogs.
1: Okay, (laughs) how they
0: come into the story.
1: So essentially, what happened? One of the one of the careers that the boy has is to help the daughter, whose new peacetime profession is smuggling greyhounds into England, Uh, which doesn't sound, you know, too successful. But it's it's reasonable enough to be interesting, and. So he needs the boy to help him uh, on the boat uh, while they while they get the greyhounds and take them down river. Uh, these are the greyhounds brought from France, so it's kind of complicated. Shall I read that section? Do you think? Or, or, on Um Yeah, the, the passage
0: with, yeah.
1: with the dogs in the in the house. Yeah. Yes.
0: Okay. Yes, please. Mm-hmm.
1: So, so I'll, just, I'll just read a little bit before it happens of of what he's doing with the with the daughter. That first magical summer of my life, we smuggled more than 45 dogs a week at the height of the racing season, collecting the gun-shy creatures from a dock near Limehouse onto the muscle boat and riding the river in darkness into the heart of London. Then we traveled back downriver the way we had come, and those late-night river returns, the boat now empty of dogs, were the only moments the daughter was free of his complicated schedules, and there would be no interruptions. We continued through the dark, quiet waters of the river, feeling we owned it as far as the estuary. We passed industrial buildings, the lights muted faint as stars, as if we were in a time capsule of the war years, when blackouts and curfews had been in effect, when there was just war light and only blind barges were allowed to move along this stretch of river. The barge slowed, we moored up tight against the fenders of the dock and climbed out. It was one in the morning. We walked to his Morris car and sat there for a moment, paused as if we were attaching ourselves now to another element. Then his foot pressed the clutch, the key turned, and the noise of the car broke the silence. Sometimes I kept the dogs with me and drove out of the depths of the city to Mill Hill. I was to meet Agnes again in one of those empty houses, and I rolled the windows down as I arrived to give the dogs air. I walked towards the house, turned, and saw them watching me, tragically, specters of disappointment. Mm -hmm. Agnes opened the door. One minute, I said, I ran back and ushered the dogs into the small front garden so they could relieve themselves. I was hurrying them back into the Morris when she suggested we all come in. Without a pause, they rushed past me and leapt into the darkness of the house. We left the keys at the foot of the front door and followed their excited barking. Once again, there was no possibility of turning lights on in the three-story building. We heated cans of soup on the blue circle of gas, then settled in on the second floor so we could watch each other and talk in the spill of moonlight. We were more at ease now. There was less tension as to what would, could, and should have not happened between us. We drank the soup. The dogs rushed into the room and out again. We had not seen each other for a while, and if we hoped our night would be passionate, it would be, but not in the way we expected. I didn't know enough about Agnes's past, but no dog had ever entered the rooms of my childhood. And now in the large, semi-dark rooms of this borrowed house, we wrestled them to the ground, their long mouths warm against our bare hearts. We raced from one room to another, avoiding street lit windows, signaling each other with whistles. The dogs, like pale eaters, in the half-light, We followed them into distant rooms. We met met them coming down the strict, narrow darkness of the stairs. Car lights filled the window, and I saw Agnes naked to the waist with a hound hanging off her hip as she lifted it down to a lower landing, the one we had discovered was nervous of stairs, a sacred moment in my life. I carry secure within whatever moments I have from that time, filed, labeled, in that half-complicated way, Agnes with dog. Unlike other memories, it has a location and a date. It was during the last days of that torrid summer, and there is a wish in me to know if that long-ago girlfriend still remembers and thinks of that series of houses we borrowed in East London and Mill Hill, where we crashed our bodies into dogs that were in chaotic delight after being restrained for hours in the back seat of a car now scattering their racing claws like high heels up and down the stairs. We were reduced to being servants, butlers, providing fresh bowls of water that they slurped without grace, or throwing remnants of our stolen sandwiches into the air as they were leaping high as our heads. They ignored thunder when it came, but when it began to rain, they paused and veered towards the large windows with tilted heads, listening to its suggestive clicks. Let's stay the night, she said. And when they curled up to sleep, we slept on the floor beside them, as if all around us these animals were our longed-for life. I wished for a company, a wild, unnecessary, essential, unforgotten moment in London during those years. When I woke, a dog's thin, sleeping face was beside me, breathing calmly into mine busy with its dreams. It heard the change in my waking breath and opened its eyes, then shifted position and placed its paw on my forehead gently, either as a gesture of careful compassion or superiority. It felt like wisdom. Where are you from? I asked it. <laughs> what country? Would you tell me? I turned and saw Agnes standing or dressed for work her hands in her pockets, watching and listening to me.
0: It's such a beautiful passage. It's very moving. Um, He thinks about her a lot and actually acquires a A greyhound in Mm -hmm. in memory of of her um, later on, Um, and is slightly disillusioned with her, sort of the the way he is with with his mother. We all. I was thinking about romantic love, Mm -hmm. which everyone desires, um, and. but it seems like in in fiction, a tragic love story is is more uh, perhaps useful than a happy one.
1: Ah.
0: Is that true? That's a
1: tough line to argue. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't to work so. on. I, I don't think uh, so. Well, I guess if you see that the ending is tragic or not is a question, you know. Mm. Um, I mean, I think one of the things that interests me is that even if something has been separated, the the, the evidence of that Thing having existed is so kind of essential. I mean, the, uh, we were talking about yesterday, the English patient, where the, where the characters all kind of separate, even though it's a family, very much a family for most of the book, as they are in this book, I think. Uh, at least Kip knows about Hannah. Hannah knows about mm-hmm. Kip. So Carvajal knows about the patient. You know, that, that, that's a, a, there's much more evidence of, of all that in them than mm-hmm. there was at the beginning. Mm-hmm. So. I think that takes away some of the the tragic element. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: And yeah. I, I think also mm-hmm. I'm not sure about the. You know, I think there's a kind of little aria by Nathaniel about Agnes near the end, which is quite actually moving. You know, about mm-hmm. how how amazing she is. You know, mm-hmm. so I don't know. Mm.
0: Um, on the very last page of the book, there is. Um a wonderful passage which refers to the art of storytelling as something essential to human existence. Um, We order our lives with barely-held stories as if we have been lost in a confusing landscape, gathering what was invisible and unspoken. Um, Autobiography or at least strands of it, seems to be one theme in, mm-hmm. in your work. Mm-hmm. Concealed yet visible. Certainly the, there are many passages which I've underlined and, and really, they're wonderful. And on another page, when you attempt a memoir, you need to be in an orphan state. So mm-hmm. what is missing in you and the things you have grown cautious about will come casually towards you. Um, And memoir, autobiography is is here, it's in Cat's Table. Mm -hmm. Um, But in this novel, correct me if I'm wrong, is the first time you actually describe the country you came to from when when you left Ceylon at the age of ten, right? Yeah. Did you need to write Cat's Table? To get to the Yeah, point. I,
1: I think I did. I didn't realize it then. I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I, I'd li- I'm, I'm very fond of that book. And, and, and um, when I finished this, I kind of just opened a few. I, I don't really read my books again after I've written them. So I, I just took a couple of things. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I can see a similar mm-hmm. uh, device, which is not, not a device, but it became something that in Cat's Table I was writing the book of a boy on a ship from Sri Lanka to England and for the first half of the book he's mostly an 11-year-old boy and just witnessing everything that's going on and causing the usual trouble that 11-year-old people do and and then later on in the book he's an adult rather like in this book mm-hmm. and um and I I'm, I'm sort of gl- I, I I like the idea of a, nar- a double narrator a double-headed narrator mm-hmm. one who is 11 years old who, who watches everything around him as if he was an animal you know mm-hmm. and and then also a a, a a more intelligent, more perceptive aware adult looking there mm-hmm. and, and 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 so it was very important to set some of that up so that he the, the adult could come in you know and, it, and we were talking about earlier on about having little kind of editing clues set up mm-hmm. um there's a scene when he's talking about Olive Lawrence and uh, the, the, the young guy, and he says, "You know," uh, he says, what, is, what, is, "What does a boy know?" And then he says again, "What, what does a boy know?" And then later on, about, about three pages later on, he says, "What did that boy know?" So suddenly you've kind of set up the possibility mm. that the voice of the adult mm. is, is already there, kind of thinking that way. Mm. I, I was very interested. I saw a theatrical production by the American, very wonderful company whose name I've forgotten now. Um, uh, but they did a, a, a play, uh, a kind of classic play, where the queen um, the queen was played by two women. Uh, and one woman said all the, the lines of the queen, and the other woman just... Responded facially and bodily to what was happening. So if it was that horrific death, the the, the silent one expressed that, and then the 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 other queen um, spoke the lines which were horrific but not the same. I just I just thought it was an amazing thing to mm. do, and I, mm-hmm. I was very interested. I, I saw that about ten years ago, and I still remember that production. There was something there. You no, know, I, I was saying how one can. Learn from the other arts, you know, mm-hmm. whether it 's music or painting or whatever it is, something like that was a, a small, important thing for me you know
0: and also, like you said, that there are two voices in warlight in this right. novel there 's the young boy, and there 's the narrator yeah. who sees what actually goes on, so we yeah, get to, yeah. we get those two perspectives yeah, that yeah. sort of collide. Um, getting back to childhood, yeah. uh, you said in a recent interview that you thought by now you would be done with childhood <laughs> and ready to move to, on to another theme. Yeah. But is one ever done with childhood?
1: Well, I think the thing with childhood is you can write about other children. You know, I mean, you can mm-hmm. write about. It's a big subject. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, a, a child growing up in Sri Lanka, or a child growing up in, you know, New York is a it's, a, it's, a, it's another planet. Mm-hmm. You know, and i mean i what i like about the, that is is in, in some way that kind of memoir voice the the the, the seemingly authentic memoir voice which doesn't needn't be authentic mm-hmm. you know so i i'm i'm giving nathaniel a, an authentic memoir voice you know this is this was what happened to me when i was 14 years old my mother left me and and then you know then we had a story but you know his story is, is different from mine or yours, but I mean, we, we can create uh, th- that memoir for mm-hmm. him, you know, mm-hmm. just as I create a memoir for myself in Running in the Family, you know, which was an earlier book, you know. Yeah. yeah. And obviously, I, that's a part of my life come into you know, these memoirs because it's, you know, one it has that life, but also it, it allows you to kind of start inventing um, some gesture by a, and adult that hurts you or not, you know, something like that.
0: We should wrap up. Um, we've been talking a lot about about the the characters and uh, how their lives intertwine and. Uh, um, Let's just end by talking a little bit about politics. Mm-hmm. Because uh, Warlight moves between the most intimate details and in relationships and then these vast political landscapes and intrigues, the indications of a new war, of, of fascism, uh, Rose being passionate about curbing it at no matter what price. Mm-hmm. And then when asked, she confesses that she is guilty of several crimes. And I was thinking, reading it, how in a sense you, what you describe, what you seem to describe at least, is is sort of the traumatic birth of present-day Europe out of the ashes of the Second World War, both in Warlight and the English patient. There's blood, confusion, treachery, murder. Um, Political decisions are hastily made based on, on shaky... Evidence, and and it's fascinating you with your perspective coming mm-hmm. from Ceylon, going to Britain, mm-hmm. now in Canada. How do you look at at Europe, and what's going on now? This this big questioning of yeah. European identity. Um.
1: Well, I, I think it's sort of well, what's happening now is, since we're horrifying, you know. I mean, let, let's face it. I mean, you've got. Um, you know, people like Trump. You've got people like Netanyahu. I mean, you've got it's it's, all, it's madness. What's happening? You know, but I, I think what's interesting to me. Uh, I mean, in, in this book, what was I, I, I've found in earlier things I've read and also writing is that the the war or a peace treaty can create, you know. It just postpones another war for ten years or something like that, mm. and that and and that. am ho- reading about on all, all the destruction of evidence, you know, as the last. It's almost like the last act of the war is not ending the war, but to, to to burn all the evidence, you know, and I mean, look, everyone is in in the wrong place and illegal about it, you know. So I think that's maybe because I, in well, that country and this country, you are seeing, you know, I'm not just from England, I'm not just from, you know. Mm. Um, the Far East, so it's a kind of mixture of, of uh, awareness of all the different kind of possibilities. I think,
0: and and also that there is not just one reality, that yeah. uh, not one truth, because um, uh, it struck me that there's there's an illusion, perhaps, that that Europe used to be balanced, used to be harmonious, that after the mm-hmm. war we built something that was. The new beautiful world. But what you show us in this novel is that it was broken yeah. at the beginning.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, that line of John Burgess I like to quote, which is, Never again will a single story be told as though it were the only one. You know, and, and, it, 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 and it, it's such a kind of apt political re- remark, but also I think it, it, for a writer, it's, it's an amazingly aesthetic remark. You know, I mean, and in a, in a way, I don't know if. I stumbled on that after I was now writing books with in, which involve five or six people as opposed to just one person, like Billy the Kid or Buddy Bolden. but it seems to me that that debate is always going on in the in the books you know between you know Caravaggio and the patient or Kip mm-hmm. or Hannah or whoever it is so and that's, that that's that 's what the the influx and Complexity is where all those people join up. Who are affectionate in that story, but at the same time, they're growing in a way.
0: Mm. Is it hard to separate from a book once you once you're mm. finished?
1: I think it happened to me with uh, in the Skin of a Lion, which was my first novel, where practically everyone was invented. You know, I'd written about Buddy Bolden, who was a historical character, and Blue the Kid. And, And running the family, which was about my family, so you know I should have been heartbroken at the end of my family book. I thought, Mm. but in fact it was in the skin of a line where I think even the last two pages you can see a kind of long farewell in that. And I I just know what I was going to do. And then, then of course, two of them came into the English patients, so it was sort of a solution. But (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah, I mean it it is. I mean it's. I, th- I think the thing is that you are kind of so intense at the last stage of writing the book, I'm, I'm about in, the, in the sense of editing, choosing the typeface, arguing mm-hmm. with you know the co- for the cover and all this stuff, that everything is about that. Mm-hmm. Everything is it's ridiculous, but everything is about that. And then suddenly you're kind of you know thrown out on the street, and you, you can't do anything more. So that is kind of a bit of a shock,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know. So um, th- that. It also feels good. You're kind of relieved that it's over and you can you know, feel okay about the book. Now, you're not, you're not just worrying about it, but now it's, you, it's done. So that, that feels good.
0: Mm. And on that note, I think it's, it's time for a farewell here <laughs> as well. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.